This is Jim. And Ralph. And this is Psychology Takeaway, where we try to understand the psychological uh, research of the day and make sense out of it. And today we have a guest, Ralph. Yes, we do. We have uh, Cassie again, uh, Cassandra. Uh, Cassie, say your last name correctly for me. Yes, so my name is Cassie Stockner. Stockner, yes. right. Soon to be Dr. Stockner, right? <laughs> Seems like a long time coming. <laughs> okay, well, you seem pretty happy today, Cassie. Yeah. Maybe it's because you see a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> okay, and it's not an oncoming uh, locomotive, right, Ralph? Right, okay. yeah, that's, uh, in my experience, it often is. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that on your face. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about, we're laughing all of a sudden. We must like our job here, Ralph. We do. Okay. Well, I wonder why. It must be the curlers that we get to eat, right? Right. Okay. Um, today we are going to talk about happiness. Okay. And happiness on the job. Well, happiness on the job and just maybe happiness per se. Okay. Um, you know, I think about uh, Martin Seligman. We've talked about him before, you know, the father of positive psychology. and. One of the things that Cassie mentioned um, last time that she was on, a few weeks ago, was that it was hard to change personality characteristics of employees. Well, that's true, unless you have what Morris Massey called a significant, significant emotional experience. And right. Seligman had one of these. Uh, he was the most miserable guy around. He was president of APA, and he's at University of Pennsylvania. He's doing research, and he's doing research on depression. He's the guy who did the research on uh, learned helplessness. Mm. Okay, and he said he worked with the most miserable people. And uh, one day his daughter said to him, you know, Dad, I gave up something for Lent. Uh, how come you're so gr grumpy? Can't you give that up? And it was like getting hit in the head with a two-by-four for Sullivan. You know, that for him. Now. He began to shift his emphasis from depression and, and helplessness to more positive stuff in psychology. And he, in the uh, Learn More section, we've got a uh, uh, TED Talk by him where he's talking about happiness. And he says there are three kinds of happiness. There's the French vanilla ice cream happiness. You know, you, the first bite is great, but by the third bite, it's gone away. The second is um, uh, flow. I have a friend who plays music, plays a guitar, and he can play the guitar for hours and hours, and he's just transfixed as he's playing the guitar. And then the third kind, which is more the more salient kind of happiness, is meaning. So, having introduced happiness and the concept, what, Cassie, do you see in the literature uh, that contributes to happiness, either on the job or in general? Yeah, so... In my field, we don't necessarily refer to it as happiness. We more often use the term job satisfaction, but I think they can translate pretty well to one another. And what we see are, I like to say four different areas that can contribute to job satisfaction. The first is work environment. So it's really important that you have supportive coworkers and supportive people around you in the job. Oh. If you feel completely alone or that you are constantly having conflict with others, to bring up our last episode, 
you know, you're not going to be as happy. You're not going to feel that your job is as meaningful. You know, in the uh, 90s and maybe into uh, the 2000s, uh, large corporations like uh, Google uh, were attempting to make the work environment more pleasant. Um, uh, in fact, I saw the other day that uh, some companies, Google being one, uh, introduced uh, child care for its employees. Now they have uh, done away with that, or are in the process of doing away with it. But having you know exercise rooms or having you know a beautiful campus with lots of beautiful views. Is that what we're talking about when we talk about making the environment? Yeah, better? so I think there you're talking about two different concepts. Okay. So the first that you were talking about, we refer to as organizational design. So the physical design elements of the workplace really do contribute to our mood, right? If we're in a very sterile gray room with no window, we're probably going to be less happy than somebody who has windows all around them and bright yellow walls and interesting things to look at. Um, or I think like you were talking about with Google, I've seen a lot of tech companies in particular put in hangout areas uh -huh. where they encourage coworkers to relax and collaborate with each other in a more natural environment than in an office. Kind of the water cooler phenomenon. Right. Okay. Right. And then the second concept that you were referring to there was work-family balance. And this is something that is very, very important for general well-being of workers. Right? A lot of people... Say that one again. Work-family balance? Yes. Work-family balance, sometimes referred to as work-life balance. So we want to make sure that people are able to be in both roles. So show up to work and be able to be a worker and then mentally be off the clock and be able to focus on their family and not have to worry about anything at work. And so having childcare, right, that's part of our organizational design, but having childcare in the workplace supports that family aspect and that work-family balance. Yeah, now one of the examples, Kathy, that uh, I can think of uh, is Toronto is the largest city in Ontario, and my uh, daughter and her husband and family live in Cambridge, which was is about an hour away. And I would hate to have an hour's commute twice a day. Mm -hmm. and then work an eight-hour day because all of a sudden your work life is 10 hours. But many people who work in Toronto will accept that hour's commute in order to have better quality of life for their family. They can afford a much better house in Cambridge than they could in Toronto. Uh, they can um, recreate themselves differently in Cambridge because there's lots of parks and so on and so forth. Um, so they're willing to make that trade for better family values, if, if that's uh, still a current term. And I think, uh, you know, for for my extended family, uh, they like 
the fact that they can live and work in the same city that many people are having to drive an hour each way to live and work in. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm a strong proponent of family or personal life comes first. I think it's so, so important that people focus on their personal life. I don't think it's healthy when work becomes everything to you, right? And there's a difference. If you're passionate about what you do and you truly love it, then that's still contributing to your personal life. But I think for the most part, we see a lot of people who don't necessarily like their jobs. And so it's important for them to have that balance. And like you said, a lot of people might choose to take that longer commute to ensure that they have a happier life for themselves and their family. And we're seeing organizations now, um, more recently, be more flexible in those work arrangements to help employees have that work-family or work-life balance. So that might be including hybrid work, where yeah. people only have to go in two or three days a week, and then the other couple days they'll work from home, or perhaps work hours, some employ employers let their employees get off a little bit early in the day so that they can pick their children up from school, right? These are some different things that we see organizations implementing. Yeah. Okay. Are they implementing them out of the kindness of their heart or is there a, uh, an impact on the bottom line of the company? Well, you know, I, I would like to believe that organizations are doing it out of the kindness of their heart, <laughs> but I, there's always a business component to everything, right? Every business decision. Every business has a business component, right? Right. Okay. But I think what organizations were seeing was that when their workers weren't as happy or motivated, they weren't as productive or performing as well. So by making these small sacrifices, if you will, to ensure that their employees are happy and have a higher sense of well-being, they're actually seeing a better return from a business aspect because their employees will perform better. Okay, I understand that. Now, if I feel like my job might be replaced by a machine, a robot, an AI, what's that gonna do to my on-the-job happiness? Yeah, that's something that's been really big in the field of IO psychology right now, particularly with AI. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people are concerned that AI will take over their jobs that are more routine. And I will say that based on the research that we've seen, people should not be as worried. Right. Mm -hmm. If that time ever came, it would be quite a long time down the road. Um, but I think there is some validity to being concerned about it and people are worried and they might not be as happy and I think that's up to the organization to be transparent with their employees and explain the reality of how it could affect their job. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that AI is here. We did a series on AI and I think our conclusion was that, yeah, you should be concerned but not paranoid over the whole thing. Right. Yeah, we forget that a lot of aspects of our jobs require thought mm -hmm. and thought that AI machines can't necessarily make, right? There are a lot of decisions that humans make that are really important 
in the way that we are completing our jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that can be replaced, at least not at this point. Right. And so humans are very valuable still in all of these organizations. It's good to hear that you're still valuable, Ralph. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Cassie, when you talk about um, people finding satisfaction or non-satisfaction and working from home and what that brings. You know, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who are now retired from their usual job, and the most common reaction I get from them is, you know, after somebody's been retired for a year, I say, well, how do you like retirement? And they say, you know, I'm so busy now, I don't understand how I had any time to work. <laughs> yeah, that's something I've noticed. My my dad actually retired a couple years ago, and my whole life when I was living at home, you know, he was very, very busy all the time with work. and. In my head, once he had retired, well, he wasn't really doing anything, right? But he is almost more active now than when he was working. He makes sure to do a lot of different things. And so I think that has contributed to his quality of life. Mm -hmm. Well, you told us before that he was a university professor. I don't think most of them are cut out for life on the golf course, for example. Right. Does your dad spend a lot of time playing golf? Well, he did, and then <laughs> I injured his shoulder, so we won't get into that. Oh, but no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so you threw him down and he landed on his shoulder? <laughs> yeah, so, but no, you know, even, even if he could, right, even if he could golf all the time, he wouldn't. Yeah. He yeah. volunteers at different organizations. He stays really busy um, and it's funny he it, it really means a lot to him and I think we see that with a lot of people who retire and in general those who do make sure to stay busy are happier because at that point in their lives they're able to pursue things and keep themselves busy with things that are meaningful to them mm-hmm. you know we spend a lot of time with you know happiness we've talked before about you know getting the first job but a lot of our listeners are probably at the cusp of retirement. Maybe we should do a show on, or a series on retirement someday. We could do that, Jim, you know, and, and one of the things that uh, I think we could, we could use as uh, perhaps a valid example is uh, some of the stuff that you and I are doing, uh, podcasting, constructing uh, CEs and so on, uh, that uh, we, we are doing on our own time and essentially for no money. That isn't the way we planned it, but <laughs> that seems to be the way it's going. But it's fun to do, and we're doing mm-hmm. it for satisfaction and interest. Yeah, so it contributes to happiness. Okay, where are we now with the four things? Oh, yes. Okay, so we talked about work environment a little bit and then about work-life or work-family balance. Balance, yeah. Um, Another area that we see is career development. So for a lot of people, it's important that they have different opportunities available for them within the organization to learn and grow. Right? Nobody wants to feel like they are stagnant or will be stuck in the same position at their organization for the rest of their life. Assembling widgets or 
whatever, right? Right. People want to know that they're is a projection right an upward projection that they will continue to succeed and move up in the organization and part of that is those career development opportunities right so a lot of organizations will create training sessions or they will pay for employees to take courses or get certifications so that their employees can learn new skills um, or increase their knowledge base and that they can move up in the organization. Yeah, well, Ralph and I and your dad have worked at the university level for all our careers. And at the university level, that's what happens. You know, we're given all sorts of opportunity to learn and expand. Otherwise, you know, my knowledge base is as current as the day I got my dissertation. So without doing this kind of expansion, you are going to be stagnant. and. Of little use to the organization 50 years later. Right. Yeah, and one of the uh, the interesting things, and I'm I'm sure somewhere along the line everybody runs into this one professor who walks in day one, puts down their uh, same yellowed notes that they taught from uh, 25 years ago, and starts their first lecture day one the same place they did 25 years ago. Now, that's an incredibly bad model, and it shouldn't happen in the university environment, but uh, it does. Some people just naturally say, I'm retired in place day one of my career. Okay. Yeah, and I, um, as a graduate student here at CMU, I also teach undergraduate courses. And for a variety of reasons, I can relate to what you had just said. When I had first started, of course, I was nervous. It was my first right. class. Um, and a lot of times, graduate student professors will get syllabi from previous professors who have taught the course. And it's very easy to just structure it exactly the same way and teach it the same way every semester. But I found that each semester, as I taught more and more, as I taught different courses, I started to change things up. I started to add my own twist to it, pull in my own examples from modern society, right? And so I saw that I enjoyed it so much more than just doing a routine lecture that had been done by everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So independence and autonomy, it was again, that's a big thing. Now we've gone through three of them. You said we had four. Yes, so one that, I guess we've touched a little bit on it, but job characteristics. So okay. skill variety, the autonomy that you just mentioned, feedback from employers is a really big thing. People like to know that the uh, the job they're doing means something that they have control over the job that they're doing and that they get that validation that they're performing the job well. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting, Cassie, you use the term validation. I was just looking at a thing on, um, on management and how management can validate workers. And a lot of people think that you know, this has to be some sort of formal twice a year evaluation or something, but workers seem to appreciate, you know, somebody from management walking through the office and 
and saying to them, uh, I read your memo, good work. You know, it, it doesn't have to be anything huge or significant in, in terms of, of uh, formality. It can just be a word. I would argue that that might be the most important kind of feedback. I would you know, agree. The once a year formal feedback. You know, everybody's got such a high level of anxiety. The boss is anxious, the employee is anxious, and very seldom does anything you know, concretely get done. Whereas the attaboy, attagirl, you know, seems to be you know, something good. Um, last time when we talked, I mentioned uh, uh, a popular song by Alan Jackson. It's five o'clock somewhere. He's, you know, I haven't had a break in a year. The boss has driven me over the you know over the limit, and I think just some uh, what kind of human feedback goes a long, long way. Right. I would agree. It's that continuous learning cycle, right? It is really important for people to hear frequently that they are doing well. Well, you've certainly done well in our conversations, uh, Cassie. I want to thank you for you know, taking time out today to listen to Ralph and I and talk with Ralph and I. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Well, it's been really fun, Cassie, and uh, maybe uh, in a few months when uh, we can say you're Dr. Stockard, that uh, we'll have you back and you can talk about uh, some of your experiences as uh, a brand new PhD, what it's like to uh, face the work world. Sounds great. Okay, so until the next time, this is Jim. And Ralph. And Cassie saying keep your stick on the ice because we're all in this together. together.